This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jim Stewart, CFO at True Ventures, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 375. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we feature four results-oriented CFOs. Most CFOs will tell us they have a results orientation. These CFOs made results orientation a commanding portion of their career narratives. Hear what they shared with us after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. In a recent episode, you uh, listened as Bruce Hartman explained why being results-oriented is so important to finance executives building their career today. Before we heard Bruce... A number of episodes back, Andy Mandel also made that point very well with us and shared a story related to it. We thought it would be worth sharing one more time. Here's Andy Mandel, CFO of CoolSys. I was in Michigan in a regional office and they were selling primary, the biggest product they sold there. Michigan had gone to a deposit law, and opposed to, as opposed to a lot of other states, they had decided to, to go to reusable, refillable bottles. So the product that was 70% of our revenue there was a half liter, eight pack of soda that was sold. And all of our sales guys had come to us and said, well, that's what our customers want, and, and um, that's why we sell so much of it. And we went back and did, did a, as part of a, a huge analytic looking at why do people, you know, why are they demanding that product? Because it's very inefficient to handle. You have to carry heavy glass bottles in and out, have a lot of manufacturing plants and so forth. Um, and when we went back and actually looked at it, people were buying it because we had priced it significantly cheaper per ounce than any other product that we had out there. And it was not that efficient for us to produce it. And we went back and said, you guys, you're telling us the consumers are making this decision. You're driving the consumers to that decision about what you've done with pricing. And we put a plan in place to change the mix more to cans and the two-liter bottles, uh, which significantly moved the marketplace. And today, 
you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find refillable bottles in Michigan. Um, but it goes back to it's the old we we think you know our consumers tell us that we want this. Um, and until you sat down and did the analytics and came back and said, why do consumers want this? And we actually went on and did some consumer studies and people said, of course I buy that, it's cheaper. And, and that seems obvious now, but at the time our sales guys, well, it's cheaper because it's cheaper for us to manufacture. Well, it was, but it was much more expensive to distribute. And they hadn't looked at the full cost of the, the, the product life cycle. And we put all that together, including the extra trucks to haul, extra trucks to store the empty glass, the full glass, and so forth, you really came down to it wasn't your most profitable product. The real product you made the most money on was actually cans. You stack an awful lot of cans, a lot more cans in a truck than you can anything else. So I think that was the first time I saw that, that finance from my side was about, I've been working for about five years at that point, um, really changed the entire perspective of what we were looking to sell and how we were, were going to market. And really, and it took some time because it wasn't something that happened overnight, but over about a five-year period, they significantly changed the entire market mix there. Um, Pepsi was a great place for developing people. It's got that reputation as well as reserved for a great uh, people development company. And I was actually in our, in our corporate office in, in Purchase, New York, which is not that far from you. And uh, I, um, I, I was up there for our human resource planning process. We did that. We did a whole business planning process and then we did a human resource planning process here around people and where they were going and developing. And, you know, I remember sitting in a bar with a guy that I, I worked with who had worked his way up. He didn't have a college education. He'd worked his way up to a regional finance job by just bootstrapping his way. And I remember sitting there and probably had a few drinks at that point. He said, you finance guys. He said, you know, because I was one of those NBA types. He said, you do these fancy presentations and get up there and you're going to get promoted and you're going to move on and, and, and that's great for you. But what does it do to the organization? Have you left your organization better off than when you came? Have you grown the, the people? Have you mentored the people who work for you? Is the place better for you having been there? And those are questions that I had never asked myself before because to be real honest, I think I was very focused on my own internal uh, career growth and where I was going and hadn't thought about the fact that where my team was going had a big impact on where I ended up. And, and to this day, I try to keep those those pieces in my mind. I, I just can picture sitting there. It's the Stouffer's Hotel. I can just picture what he's telling me that um, that that's you know kind of pointedly you know pointing out things that I hadn't thought of before as early in my career as a manager. And I, I try and keep that close to my my thought process um, as to you know how do I make the people who work for me better uh, and create a better organization than I had yesterday. Do you have a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Personal habit? That's a good question. I, I think I, I think I'm fairly detailed, and, and I think I'm, I'm very focused and driven towards results. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, I, I'll give you a story again because you say you like stories. I remember sitting in a meeting when I was at Disney with Jeffrey Katzenberg, and he pointed to this bouquet that was sitting in the middle of this table we were at, and he said, you know, somebody spent a lot of time putting that together, but it's really ugly. And you know what? I don't pay for effort. I pay for results. <laughs> and that stuck in my mind as, 
there's a lot of people who work hard and there's some people who don't work hard but in the end what really matters is do you get the stuff done and if you can get if you work smart and get stuff done i think you know you get paid and you get rewarded and, and you achieve based on accomplishments and, and i think that i tend to therefore try and focus on the end result and make sure we get there and i think that's always been you know kind of my mantra Another CFO that emphasized a strong results orientation was Kelly Steckelberg, CFO of Zoom Video Communications. Here's Kelly. When a CEO asked me as I was trying to bring some processes to a company that you know, I had seen work somewhere else, but wasn't, I, well, honestly, I wasn't being very thoughtful about what I was trying to do. He said to me, what is the problem you're trying to solve, Kelly? And... It was really good for me. I think about that all the time now. As you're approaching something, not just bring something you've seen, bring something you've seen work somewhere else. It doesn't mean it's going to fit here or work here. But what what's the problem you're trying to solve? And then drawing on your past experiences and finding sort of the best solution for it based on what you know and what you think is going to work. I myself am very goal-oriented. So daily goals, quarterly goals, you know, annual goals, goals for my career. And I think that when you, when you start with, what am I going to accomplish today? And then the next instance, what am I going to accomplish this quarter? What am I going to accomplish in the next, you know, year? That I think, and then coming back and making sure you've done it, I think it's a great way to see where you're succeeding at that and where you're not. And where, for me, like where I can do better personally. And I think being committed to that ongoing personal development um, it, it has certainly has contributed to me continuing to take, you know, my ability to take on continued roles and responsibilities. We're a customer service organization. We have both internal and external customers that we support every day. And the team was already oriented in that way for sure. Um, the one thing that we are adding or beefing up, I would say, is the FP&A organization to ensure that we're providing enough business partnering experience to people so they can help make decisions as we keep moving forward and growing as a company. But in terms of billing support and collections, everything, that part was already well enhanced with our external customers. Our focus at Zoom is to make sure that our customers are happy. happy. Providing happiness to them is really key to what we do every day. And the team here really has that orientation already and, and was, is, is doing very well with that. I think the second aspect what's important to me for this role is back to being a business partner to our CEO, for me personally, as our CEO and other executives. And the way that I focus, have focused on doing that initially is really starting to understand, well, how does our product work? What is it about our product that is unique? And how do we support our customers in that? How, you know, what's our marketing team? What, what are our initiatives around branding as well as lead generation? And approaching it from the business perspective rather than just the finance perspective. Because... What I've learned when I was before, when I was a CFO, um, I understood I I understood how our business worked, but oftentimes I was repeating words that I'd heard, like a talk track that I knew, and I knew it to be accurate, but it didn't necessarily mean that I really understood exactly every nuance of it. And I'm approaching this role very differently by spending time with the product people and the marketing people. I really want to understand how it works, so that when I speak, I'm speaking from a very different position of authority and. Really having that CEO experience is what's, what's allowing me to do that because I have such a greater understanding of it. And 
I view my role as a CFO is I'm a marketer of this company and just this as much as our salespeople are. So I need to be as well versed about our product and finances, of course, but our product first and foremost and our customers and their experiences as any sales rep does. And so that's, that's how I initially spent my time here was getting up to speed and learning as much as I could about that. We feature two more results-oriented CFOs after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. For Daryl Cox, CFO of Venna Solutions, achieving results has everything to do with data. It begins with data and ends with data, or so Daryl tells us. data, which is typical, uh, but they don't stretch. 
But when you combine the finance data with data from other sources, be it your customer support data, you combine it from your uh, with your Salesforce, your CRM data, or even just your billing system data, which sometimes doesn't connect with your GL data in the most useful way, you can get so much more insight into what's going on. My favorite place to poke around is in Salesforce these days, actually. And you can really, if you're in there and understand what your, your marketing uh, sales funnel looks like, what the different milestones are, what the conversion rates are, what it costs at every point, you can predict fairly early what a cost of acquisition is going to be, or what your revenue is going to be, and what your, ultimately your cash flow is going to look like well ahead of where you would be otherwise. I mean, it's no good just to be looking at your your you know end of cycle KPIs like CAC, cost of acquisition, or churn. It's way more interesting to know like three or four months in advance if you're if you're trending to a nasty CAC place, and if if you know that in time, maybe you can turn some dials and affect it beforehand and drive some action. And that's honestly the finance guy. That's so much more rewarding. The amount of data is just piling up, right? And you have systems all over the place collecting data. The issue is, even with Salesforce and any CRM system, is you got it all piling up. Are you using it? And so, you know, you you, you talk to your board, you talk to your your CEO, you talk to your sales leads and your and your uh, marketing people. What are they doing with that data? And this is one of the problems with all these different diverse data sources. They don't connect. You, you, you can't. Yeah, and you have to connect it to tell the real story. And it's hard to get the data out of Salesforce to marry it up to data in, like, your, your call center. Or, or you might use it for both, but it's not going to be as good for both. There's best case systems and for every use case. But you really do need to get all that data together and stitch it together and then get to the root bottom of the story. And uh, it's not enough just to have the system and to, you know, have the sales guys entering in, you know, their customer data. It's, it's about extracting it and using it. And unfortunately, Salesforce is not so good at letting you really explore your data. you got to get it out of there. When you're talking to your peers today, the finance leaders perhaps at other early-stage technology companies, how do you know someone has their data housed in order? Um, you know, here's what we're doing. Well, we're doing this. I mean, is that is that part of the back and forth today? Is it how firms are learning to use and leverage their data and access it and create new metrics with it? I mean, what what would you tell me? Oh, you're, you're bang on the money. I belong to a couple of uh, networking groups for uh, CFOs. Um, one of them is a more diverse set of companies. One of them is specifically targeted at SaaS uh, growth stage companies, so we're all very like-minded. And uh, we talk a lot about what is the metrics we're collecting. And we'll share confidentially, like, what does what's your CAC look like? <laughs> it's like uh, we really do uh, share a lot of data. And it, it, it's... And it's, we're able to advance each other's causes by, by able to explore and understand what each other is doing. Um, but it's very much the thing to do is if you're not already setting up some kind of data mart or data warehouse or cross-relating all your sources of data, then, you know, you're, you're, you're probably not behind yet, but that's definitely where things are moving is uh, bringing all that data together into a central, central place and uh, really making the most of it. Some of you uh, might recall a number of episodes back, we spotlighted the strategic thinking of Fang Li, CFO of MicroStrategy, as well as Mike Foley, CFO of Unity Technologies, as they use transparency and visibility to help 
energize uh, their workforces. Brian Day, CFO of Fuse, takes a similar approach and creates heightened levels of visibility into the business uh, by featuring a variety of KPIs. Here's what Brian shared with us. From a strategic standpoint, what I, what I find most effective when I do this everywhere I go is, 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 is be as transparent as possible. Um, and essentially what I, I find happens here, and, and I've done it in such a way that, you know, at times I've gone into businesses where the, the, the CEO would hire me and is like, wow, that, that was a lot of information to be sharing with the employees. And you know what? It's never, ever backfired on me. Um, and, and, and I find that uh, the, 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 the employees in general can handle a lot more information than a lot of CFOs think they can handle, as long as it's packaged properly and explained properly. Um, and, and people feel empowered when they when they realize they have the opportunity to positively influence the outcome of the business. So one of the things I did when I first got here at Fuse was put together essentially 12 KPIs, which is a lot of KPIs, you know, and, and, and I get that. Um, you know, some people feel like two or three is, is the most you want to have, but, but we've got 12 that we look at fairly, fairly closely, and they, they cut across all swaths of the business. And every single quarter, I get on a, a, a company-wide call and, and walk through those the KPIs. Um, and then once a year, what I'll do is I'll have something that I call the, the financial fun hour, which is which for some people is a bit of an oxymoron, but I had it anyway. And, and I and I kind of what I did was I explained to anybody who wanted to listen. Okay, here's what all these KPIs mean. Here's how we calculate them. This is what the definition is, and this is why it's important to us as a business. And I've had a lot of people, not just here at Fuse, but in prior lives as well, come into my house and say, hey, no one's ever given that information to us before. And it's so nice to hear that. And it's so, it's so satisfying for us as employees to see that if we do X instead of Y, we can positively influence how those KPIs look. So what I'll generally do is put together a PowerPoint presentation that kind of walks through the KPIs, uh, looks at how we're performing right now versus how we've done historically. And then um, you know, it usually takes you know 30 to 35 minutes, followed by 20 to 25 minutes of Q and A. Um, but that's that's how we present it. As a privately held company, um, obviously we don't have uh, we, do, we don't have newsletters circulating or financials circulating. Um, you know that will come at some point in the future. Tricky part is, I mean, let's face it. Uh, I mean, the economy always goes through down cycles as well, right? So, um, and, and businesses. Uh, aren't always uh, as robust as you'd like them to be. So there, there are times where maybe the KPIs don't look quite so great. And, and, and the, the risk you run with being very transparent to your employees is you have to continue to be transparent because if all of a sudden you stop being transparent, they're going to draw conclusions that you may not want them to be drawing. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I've looked at, looked at fairly, fairly carefully in the past as well. But again, even if the news that you present to them isn't so great, people still want to hear that. Um, because, you know, I mean, no news is bad news. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's important that, that for you to build trust with the employees. Um, and the more, you, the more you disclose them and talk to them and, want, and tell them why this is important and what it means, you know, the more they can handle it when hey, maybe, maybe, the, uh, maybe a certain KPI didn't trend the way we wanted to trend. And, and, but you can also say, okay, guys, here's how we can fix this. And here's what it means to us. If, if you don't disclose it, you're not going to get it fixed. We hope you enjoyed this episode featuring four results-oriented CFOs. Thank you for listening.
Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.